another day to live through. Better get started. Those cells are still living, Dr. Mercer, off one another. There has to be an answer. You heard that all communications are ended outside the continental limits. Yes, I heard. That leaves it in our laps. Once again, here we are. Good to see you. Yeah, uh, well, I would like to say the same, but I can't. Oh, yeah. Hey. There I am. I just I can only take so much of my giant noggin taking up the screen. So, Well, just sit further, further away from the camera like I do. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I, so now I have just like a, a, a tiny head on a giant body. That's it's cool. All about perspective. See, giant it, it head. Is. You're, tiny you're being, head. You're being Beetlejuice guy. Yeah. You're far. Yeah, shrunken head man. Did you ever watch or are you familiar with Howard Stern? Howard Stern show at all? Um. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty good. I I I really liked private parts. Do you remember? The on that they'd have that recurring guest that was Beetlejuice, who's the microcephalatic uh, yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. he'd, say, he'd say, It's no goo, it's no goo, <laughs> it's no goo for me. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good. It's like our, our girlfriend's uh. She met this guy, this old guy, who's just like sitting there getting fucking blasted by uh, a pressure washer or something, just the residual. She's like, yeah. hey, man, do you want a jacket or something? He goes, it don't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's completely uh, resigned to the fact that anything could be better than what it is. It don't matter. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like people would give Howard Stern shit for having that guy on because they say, "Well, it's exploitative," and you know, he responded, "He's like that guy's living way better life now than if we wouldn't have put him on our show. He'd just be, you know, probably living on the streets." Yeah, he makes a good point, but it is kind of like it is exploitative. Well, um, right. I mean, but the dude knows he's funny. That's like, uh, um, what is his name? Not Geraldo, Jermio uh, G- G- or something like that. Jimmy Kimmel's little host guy. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I haven't actually he's watched like that much a, Jimmy Kimmel. He's just like a fat little Mexican guy, and he's funny because they they laugh because he doesn't speak great English. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's complaining about what he's raking in. No. No. Um, you know, but none of that matters right now, uh, uh, Dr. Bob, because the entirety of, of human civilization has been wiped out as we speak. At least as we know it, they've been wiped out. And they've been turned into frothing, undead. Yeah. Vampires. Yeah. Vampires. 
We call them vamps around this house. Because we went back in the Wayback Machine and all the way back to 1964, and we watched the Vincent Price epic saga, The Last Man on Earth. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Here tonight to talk about this. So right? let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. First Vincent Price movie on the podcast, believe it or not. It's taken us a while to get to this man's oeuvre. I've been wanting to talk about some Vincent Price movies for a minute. So the reason why uh, I chose this as a follow-up to last episode is because we were talking on the last episode about uh, a Richard Matheson uh, penned movie-related duel. And Mm -hmm. so I well, you know, it's high time that we talk about The Last Man on Earth, which is also related to Richard Matheson's source material. Yeah. The the legendary, legendary I Am Legend, uh, which was, uh, it was adapted to the screen three times, thrice, threefold, this being the first of those installments. Yeah. And I, I've never seen the Omega Man, but... I'm going to say after watching that pile of shit that Will Smith was involved with, I think this is the finest hour for the story being adapted to film. Well, you know, you would be not the only one that thought that that seems to be, uh, that seems to be a somewhat of a consensus. Omega man, in my opinion is actually really good too. Mm. Um, I will say this before we get too far into talking about this. I brought this movie to dis- to discuss it. I've always liked this movie in the past, but as off as often is the case with this this show is sometimes we return to what was once beloved movies, and we realize maybe they're not as good as we originally thought. Hmm. Maybe perhaps you were wrong, just like our Doctor Bobby Morgan. We'll see, but. Before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about some uh, some uh, off-the-top stuff. Mm-hmm. Movie came out in 1964. Country of origin is the USA and Italy. Rome, was, exactly, right? As far as I know, somewhere in, the, in, in thereabouts, because obviously parts of it were, were filmed in the, in the rural outskirts. Mm-hmm. Because anybody that would see some of those, the, the the back scenery of the villages would say there's no way that any of that is in the U.S. Because that, that just doesn't doesn't look like anywhere in the U.S. And it wasn't. It was, well, it was filmed in, in Italy. Right. And I, I know that we probably have a, a divergence here. But I watched, because it was the most readily available to me, I watched the color version of. So did I. Okay. All right. So, yeah, when you see the color palette going on and everything, too, you go, that clearly is not the States. The way right. that, yeah, I mean, just the feng shui of things. Yeah. You know, you know that it's kind of like Hellraiser, where, you know, it's supposed to take place in one place, but it doesn't. Uh, and right. it's obvious. So. Yeah, um, I watched the color version, too, even though I told you that it, the black and white version is my preferred one, but... We were just sitting on the couch and we pulled it up on Tubi 
Mm-hmm. And that was the colored version. Um, I kind of wish I would have just went ahead and, and found the black and white version. Right now, I think I have this maybe on some sort of hard copy format. But um, anyways, yeah, I was just like, well, let's just see where it's streaming. Tell me you got it on Betamax. I would love to have it on Betamax. The thing <laughs> is, too, I swear, and I don't remember this from doing the research but i swear that there is a black and white version that also does not have dr bob's internal dialogue which makes it a a a much more stripped down version of the movie and we'll get into talking about that a little bit more but anyways we both watch the same version essentially Mm -hmm. from what i gather yeah and as i said this stars vincent price and some italian folk we have a primarily Italian cast. We've got Franca Batoya and Giacomo Rossi Stewart, amongst others. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for the uh, sake of the audience, whoever's listening and and just not butchering and feeling like a moron, I'm going to refer to all of the characters by their character names, right? Because there's they're just regular ass names, just regular names in the film. That's true, and. Uh, So here's the synopsis that I I just wrote this up, just blazed through it. So here we go. Dr. Robert Morgan, a distinguished virologist, is the last known individual on Earth to not be susceptible to a malignant strain of an airborne virus that turns humans into the living dead. He has survived three years alone in his immediate surroundings, defending himself from the 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 nightly throngs of vampire zombies. Yeah. But let me distinguish, in this movie, they're not considered zombies, and we'll talk more about that that later. They're considered vampires, so zombies is my editorial in there. Yeah, I think it's apt. When he finally is confronted by another seemingly normal survivor, Ruth Collins, (laughs) who may have an ulterior motive for allowing herself to be discovered by Dr. Morgan. So Yeah, that's there you go. I mean... Really, not a lot of dialogue uh, needed when you have a plot lo- synopsis like that. Yeah. That's pretty um, uh, right on the money. Um, I didn't find the budget or the box office gross, but I know that this was considered a box office disappointment. Oh. Yeah. Didn't didn't get, but has since become a cult favorite. Yeah, I was going to say that that's where it can, unless you read the fine print, that can be misleading sometimes because you go, Vincent Price, like, I'm, he's kind of a household name for this type of this ilk of movie. And, you know, the shock theater was quite popular um, in this time period. That's so true. That's, it's surprising that it wasn't uh, a smash right out the gate. Yeah, if I'm to remember from what I've read, so Vincent Price, he had his early career in film in Hollywood uh, that made him notable. And then like a lot of Hollywood legacy actors and actresses, there was a time where maybe he wasn't as quite sought after. And then he had his comeback in the 60s, most notably with the Roger Corman AIP uh, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, which many people, if you're a fan of horror, you've seen some of those at least. Somebody's <laughs> at least seen The Fall of the House of Usher or The Pit and the Pendulum, et cetera, et cetera. But I think right. like, that's where he made his big comeback 
And he was also in some hammer horror, et cetera, et cetera. Um, some critical reception. Like I said, this is considered one of the better adaptations of the Robert Matheson source material. However, notably, Charlton Heston, who was the producer and maybe the director of The Omega Man, which was the second adaptation of this source material, he said it was incredibly botched, totally unfrightening, ill-acted, sloppily written, and photographed. So, <laughs> so old Charlie... Mr. NRA himself. From my cold, dead hands. Yeah. He, he was not pleased with this adaptation. But Vincent Price, go figure, thinks that this, this version is superior to Omega Man. So there they are just, you know, having their own pissing contest with, with yeah, each other. Yeah, right. It sounds like some self-inflation. Well, my, mine's better or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I haven't watched Omega Man in quite some time. It's Omega Man leans more into developing the undead characters in this story. It definitely does. It gives them more time to show like how they actually live. Right. Away, away from like what is Doctor Morgan's perception? Yeah. So it's it's more of like the interplay between them being more developed, more developed as a civilization, as a tribe, versus him, as opposed gotcha. to like this movie where it's just like him fighting the throngs and the hordes, and then at the end it's revealed, oh, this whole other, you know, there's this surprise. That's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, the final act is quite surprising to me. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it because okay. might as well save the bits because there's only this movie's pretty linear and it's pretty stripped down. So we'll save the bits for the meat. Do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, I've never seen this before, and I'm a fan of Matheson's work, so. I was happy to watch it. It was it was good. Sometimes sometimes these kind of movies from this era can be pretty dated feeling and just kind yeah. of hard to get through. But um this was a pleasant a pleasant viewing throughout. Well, that's good to hear. Um but you said you have not read I Am Legend, right? You haven't read um, that yet. I, I haven't read it. I have the an audiobook yeah. collection of Matheson's works. But Okay. Yeah. So you've heard it then. You've got yes. it in your ears. Uh yeah. Yeah. It's been a while, okay. but yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of that story. And uh I'm a big fan of pretty much everything I've read of Richard Matheson's and and I've liked most of the adaptations that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Stir of Echoes is real good. Um Nightmare There's- of Twenty Thou. You know, obviously that story in the old Twilight Zone and the and the remake from the 80s or 90s was great. Did you ever see um, The Legend of Hell House? Mm-mm, no. It's got Roddy McDowell in it. Um, that's pretty good. Also like that a lot. So anyways, before we get into talking about the good, the bad, and the questionable, you know, we've got to 
give our uh, attention to the sponsors here. We gotta give our hats off to the sponsors. Hats off, you know. It's it's hard to get appreciation for what we do. So we can't give enough thanks to the good people uh, who support this show. We wouldn't be able to do it on a weekly basis if it wasn't for our sponsors. So That's right. thank you once again to our sponsors. But for this episode, our sponsor is Dr. Morgan's Last Man on Earth One Stop 24-Hour Supply Depot and Grocery. <laughs> when you're a last man on Earth on the go with a busy zombie-killing uh, schedule, you need to get your supplies and you need to get them fast. Leave it to Dr. Morgan's Depot to get you what you need quick and send you on your way to ridding an empty, desolate world of the undead throngs. Absolutely. You know, and this, I mean, this is good for, we are the road crew. You know what I mean? How many times have we been out there looking for a 3 a.m. Doni or a fucking (laughs) bandolier of garlic? (laughs) You know, you need that. You need that shit at the break of dawn. And uh, so that's why we got Dr. Morgan's last man on earth. uh, One stop, 24 hour supply depot and grocery. Yeah. Thank you. Right off of Highway 69. That's right. 69, 69, 69. Okay, let's move on then to the good, the bad, and the questionable. They're perfect. Just wide enough to keep the flesh apart so their body seal can't function. And how many more of these will I have to make before they're all destroyed? They want my blood. It's their lives are mine. And I still get squeamish. starting with the good uh for me the main thing about this that i really like a lot is i i like the plot idea of the lone individual somehow figuring out how to survive an apocalyptic event that has wiped out most of all humanity just using the sheer grit and determination and will and everything they've got to make it through this for whatever reasons, just to somehow find a light at the end of the tunnel that maybe they might be the person that's able to figure out a way to plant the seeds to rebuild civilization. And that's what Dr. Bob's is trying to do here. Yeah. You know, I am starting to just now, notice a theme in Matheson's stories that there is this loner lone mission determined, you know, um, I, I don't know, martyr in a way to his characters in duel. Um, in this, obviously stir of echoes, even tw- nightmare on 20,000 feet. These people are alone in their thoughts, you know, <laughs> I alone am seeing this thing happening. I alone can change it because everyone else, no one believes me. That kind of thing. And um, he really drives it home with this or the adaptation of this is, is it's a strong point that, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, the likelihood of Morgan making it to the end of this uh, plague, it's wiped out from what he thinks everyone uh, it's unlikely, but he's still trying for the sake of, I guess, humanity. What else does he have? You know? Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that a lot too. I see that. I see that a lot. And, and I'm, 
movies of all kinds of genre, like The Road Warrior, you know, you look at this character and go, they have nothing else. Everything. Yeah, they have nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. Every. Literally. Yeah. Every tendril of, of like reasoning to exist has been cut and, and every tether has been stripped away. And so now the only thing he can do is try and serve himself by finding an answer, which in turn serves all of humanity. Pretty cool. Pretty cool yeah. concept, you know? Yeah. And for me, I know clearly that if I was the person that was in this situation, I wouldn't think this way, but as someone who can live safely amongst the creature comforts of modern civilization, civilization that is still, as we know it, cobbled together, we're mm-hmm. able to still go to the grocery store, get our groceries. There's a gas station. We got our friends and family. We've got, we can get all of our material needs readily and have social interactions on a normal day to day basis. I don't know. To me, like there is that misanthropic aspect of me that gets kind of like a little bit of a, of a, of a, I guess like, um, what am I looking for? I get a little bit of a kick out of the idea that what if I was the last guy and then I could just go do whatever I want. I, I have access to everything that's left. Basically. Yeah. I have no, no one getting in my way. I can, sure. you know, I can, I can, I can stockpile reserves of whatever I want. I can roam freely with, you know, throughout the world, I guess. Obviously that's not completely true because you still have to like, be prepared to fight for your survival. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there is this night brood that you got to worry about, but during the day, Hey, you're King. You, you, that's what you, I mean. Yeah. You rule, rule the land. Yeah. Like there's that scene where after his car gets trashed by the vampires, he just, just goes, just goes go to the to, car dealership. Just go down to the getting place. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the grocery store. There's still plenty of stuff left. Yeah. Yep. Just boxes go and in. boxes and boxes of tissues. Got uh, well, you know that that hangover from civilized time of you know the inconveniences of modern living. Like, oh, I got to wait in this line. I got traffic. Yeah. There, there's got to be that little bit of satisfaction left in him somewhere of it. Hey, I'm first in line, you know, right? every yeah. time. Don't have to worry about some asshole cutting me off on the highway. Right. Yeah. 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 All you got to worry about is dumping them in an eternally burning pit in the ground. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which um, I also like that a lot. I, I like. Do, yeah, I do too. I, that's, I was going to segue to my good. I, I like the fact that there is just this. <laughs> A eternal burning f- hellfire that is only good for you know the cremation of the fucking evil undead corpses or what will soon be undead walking corpses. Yeah, the the human tire fire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 yeah I really like that a lot. Um, I was gonna say also. Um, so. Many people, I think, would consider Night of the Living Dead to be the blueprint for what is considered the modern zombie movie. But 
I would argue, and I think other people would too, this is actually it. And also, people may know this who are studied on these things, but basically Night of the Living Dead is almost a direct ripoff of this movie. Right. In a lot of ways. It sets the foundation for it. Because what? Night of the Living Dead came out in 68? 68, yeah. So So four four, years after Four years later? Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. Well, yeah, I mean, and Romero says it. He says that he he just ripped off this idea. Mm-hmm. What well, he basically he took this idea and he streamlined. He streamlined it. Basically, seems like he just called it what it is. This movie yeah. it calls them vampires, yeah. But these behave as the zeitgeist would know as zombies, the undead. Well, yeah, and even with Night of the Living Dead. Romero and people involved with making it, they never they never said that those were zombies either. They mm-hmm. called them ghouls. Yeah. They consider them flesh eating ghouls. Right. Zombies up to that point were what people thought of with like Haitian voodoo and, yeah, and those I was gonna movies. say yeah, some the kind movies of, of the thirties that portrayed Haitian voodoo some zombies. Like Jamaican curse or something. Yeah. So to me, this is this is the actual origin of the modern take on a on a, a cinematic zombie. Yeah, um, I I I like. Now, I'd be curious to go back and watch it in black and white, and and see if I have these, you know, different interpretations of some of the stuff. But I like the. Um, the muted color palette in this movie. I know yeah. that color obviously was not, this, this wasn't made in color to begin with, but the, the color being muted like that gives another sense of just absolute hopeless, lonesome, you know, loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, the just gray about to dump rain, black skies all the time. And mm-hmm. just the first scene where the sun is coming up over the, just a completely vacant city. I like all that. It sets the mood off great for what is to come to me. You know, um, I think that like a contemporary thought of something like this and that absolute lonesome feeling is something like 28 Days Later, where, yeah. you, you know, you just – it's it's so out of place to see a cityscape and nothing's happening. Which incidentally is another movie that people consider a lump and they lump in with the zombie right. genre, but it's not about zombies either. No. no. So Yeah. So um I liked that. I liked I really did enjoy um Vincent Price Morgan's inner monologue. Okay. For a person who's a bit of a persnickety about little, you know, details and things being believable, like right from the beginning, he he explains away in his head why he does and doesn't do certain things, what's happening in the world, how he got here. That's enough for me to play along. You know, if if that wasn't there, I would have been a little bit perturbed right from the jump of his movie. Hmm. Interesting. 
You know, like you see him, one of the first things you see him do is go in and like put fuel in a generator or something, you know, because my question right off the bat is like, how does he got fucking lights going? Okay. Well, it's explained away by a simple 30 second shot of him fueling up some kind of energy generating device, you know, right. That kind of thing. Right. Um, how he explains that he's not going to take everything from the deep freeze at the grocery store because he only takes what he needs now and all this kind of thing. Okay. That's enough for me to at least, you know, movies like this too, kind of creature features. I I really have a problem with um, when they don't do anything to explain what's happening. You know, it's like, Oh, there's zombies. Why is there zombies? Toxic waste. Eh, just you know that that's it. That's all. That's all you get. It's like what? That doesn't explain anything. There's toxic everything everywhere. Nobody's turning into the undead here. So just those little bit of that little bit of extra time to set the plot. It it goes a long way with me. I appreciated that. See. I, I do agree with you, but I also somewhat have questions might disagree a little bit with some of those parts, but I have questions as well. Uh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, I mean, specifically to what I just said, it's a good, but there's also holes in it for me. Sure. Sure. Um, we've already kind of talked about this, but yeah, for me, I like the fact, and this is also very well represented in the book, the story, that it really does do a good job of representing the sheer hopelessness of everything. Yeah. yeah. There's no happy ending to this. There's no happy ending in the story itself. either. It's right. It all, it all, well, I guess depending on how you look at it, because the ending is interesting because it turns this idea on its head that, that Morgan is the hero of the story. And then he ends up being the villain. Sure. He ends up being the bad guy unbeknownst to himself where he, he has nothing but good intentions. Right. And he doesn't realize this whole time, oh, I apparently was murdering people that aren't necessarily infected. Which is a funny, um, I guess, kind of like allegory to just science and people having a God complex. I'm not sure if that was intended to have a larger point But, you know, when people put so much trust into science and their and their strict belief about this and that, and then the science, the sciences being a theory as they are, fail them, then they have to reflect. And there's a uh, accounting that needs to be done, um, which I appreciated. And that wasn't lost on me uh, uh, in watching this. Yeah. Well, yeah, because essentially what they're trying to say at the end there is that this is a new race of people mm-hmm. that have adapted kind of organically to the new world. And he's a carryover of the old world. He's just a he's just an old dinosaur. He's just a racist. That's this, <laughs> right. is, a, this is a smash racism movie. I mean, considering <laughs> that final diatribe that he has where it's yeah. so vitriolic where he he's just like you're all just mutants i'm the i'm the i'm the human yeah all right you're the fucking you're freaks all you're of the you freaks 
So you go from sympathizing with Dr. Bob to being like, man, this guy's actually a real fucking prick. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I also, with setting the stage and ideas like that, the, the way that this story plays off, it's, it's like pretty minimalist as far as from a storytelling aspect, which is yeah. good because you don't want to, it would ruin the twists if you were to see from other perspectives going on, because as we know it, starting into the story, there is no other perspective. He's the only one. Um, but I do appreciate that they, you know, they gave him his backstory. They flash back to when everything was still okay. And he's, his daughter was alive. His wife was alive. He's going to work and this plague is happening, but it hasn't. It's kind of like when COVID first started. People yeah. are like, oh, they kind of make jokes about it because they're like, what, what, is, what do humans naturally do in the face of anything they don't understand or they're afraid of? They, they joke about it. And um, yeah. it's not really hitting yet. Like, oh, yeah, there's some germ that's airborne germ that the winds from Europe are blowing on us. And, you know, yeah, right. I, I believe that. And then it happens to him. Just like every other thing, nothing in the world matters to a person until it's affecting you. So, yeah. you know, that is that is portrayed well. I really appreciated, um, you know, the backstory. Just, just the idea of doing that for a movie of this vintage seems, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but that seems kind of unique. I, I can't really think of movies that do like a flashback period flashback in time kind of thing um, from this era. Um, but in that whole flashback time, the part where his daughter is pleading, pleading for her life like that is oof, that's pretty powerful stuff. Maybe it's a little different for me because I have a kid and just seeing him cry and being upset at all. He's sure. like uh, heart wrenching, but when she's going, mother, please, mother, please, you know, and it's like you can see this hydrophobic kind of like rabid lockjaw facial expression rolling over her, and they're watching the kid and can't do anything about it, and him being a man of science, you know, he's he's. Nope. He says, no, no, no doctors, nothing like that. And now he's got to live with that forever. Like that they, that they did that scene in a movie of this vintage. um, That's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. I I really like that part. Yeah. I think from here on out, I have more like maybe uh, questions and such. So if, if you have any other goods, um, I like the plot twist as well. I mean, you kind of talked about how this is not a, a happy ending story. And a story like this, you would think it's got to end with a happy ending. I mean. Well, especially of this era, too. Well, right. They, yeah. A lot of what we're going to probably be talking about is specifically predicated to movies of the time. You know. Yeah. Uh, to have an uh, extreme tragic ending and the leading man 
is the villain and dies and everything else. That's pretty unique, I think, for the time. And uh, I liked it. It resonated with me. Are you familiar with the Hayes Code? You know about the Hayes Code, right? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. You ever, you ever heard of things like pre-code horror? Mm, no. So essentially, during the 30s, there was a politician who it he got this law enacted. It was essentially a censorship law that forced Hollywood studios to adhere to a certain edict when they made movies. And if, if the, the movie didn't pass this edict, didn't pass these requirements, it would get shelved. And part of the Hayes Code violations were if a movie didn't essentially represent good triumphing over evil, mm-hmm. then it went against the code. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so also, obviously, there was the more specific, less abstract ones like no nudity, no overt sexual suggestion, no suggestion of illicit substances being used or distributed, no overt violence. So... <laughs> from the late 30s until but, the 60s. But birth of the nation is is totally fine. That's well, that, right. But that was pre-code. Yeah, yeah, I get so you. So that's a thing. Well, whatever. So, But anyway, so basically for 30 years, movies within the studio system were created to adhere to the the Hayes Code. Yeah. So what's interesting is, and you know, this movie was made and distributed mostly in Italy, so maybe that's why it was able to fly under the radar but this movie because of its ending i feel would be considered a violation of hayes code maybe yeah and i i mean they have an american leading man they vincent price is the leading man you would think that even if it's made in italy it's geared for american audiences right and so it the intent was consumption by an american audience sure and for people to have these ideas of this Hayes code that, okay, well, no matter what happens, it's going to be a good ending as in, you know, morally just and the good triumphing over evil. And then this shit happens like that. That'd probably be pretty heavy for the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, controversial, which appreciate that. And I think that's why this movie, A, at the time, maybe didn't do so good, but B, has been reappraised since because it was unique for its time. Yeah. Um, the other, the only other good that I really wanted to mention was just, um, you know, there there is some combat you see between Morgan and other entities in this film, but... Mm. I like the vampire slaying montage because it gets the point across that he's been doing this a lot. I mean, he's been fucking just slaying, slaying. Slay all day. Yeah, he's just slaying all day. <laughs> Who One could only hope, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. it just shows him with the hammer and the stake and it, and it omits all of the, I mean, at the time it was probably pretty shocking, but to our sensibilities now, like this really stupid action scenes 
that, yeah. that don't play well. You just you get the suggestion of it, and that's all you really need. Um, so I, I was glad that that scene went off like that. It was just kind of this montage of, okay, here is with the hammer again and again and again. You know? Right. Well, and it's interesting too because this movie takes the the trope and the idea of vampirism, which is rooted in folklore and religion. So it's relate it's it's rooted in what would be considered the supernatural or the mystical, mm-hmm. and it tries to apply this scientific, rational reasoning. But he's using the tools and the the strategy of the old ways, yeah, the old folklore ways right. to combat what he's you know trying to uh, discover the origin of through science. Yeah, a man you know. of science using arcane, <laughs> right. fucking biblical <laughs> right. Using, ways. Right. Yeah, using the garlic and using the wooden stakes. And yeah. So that's an interesting spin on it. They're trying to meld those two ideas. Sure. So anyways, all right. Bad. Here's what I'm going to say. All the acting in this is pretty bad, except for Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah, that mo- no, no, no disputing that. Um, I really have a problem with the fact that the 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 vampires have a vocal aspect to begin with. I think that's stupid. It didn't need to be there to carry the story along, and it, it just sucked. Like that See, bothered me. I, I will disagree somewhat because that was always a thing that I really enjoyed about the story is it talks a lot about how Morgan would be in his home at night hidden away or locked away. And he would hear his friend Ben Ben that's represented in the movie as well, calling his name, basically, you know, like, like teasing him. Right. So, well, I mean, I, I I would appreciate it a lot more if a couple things happen. Let's say if that has to be in the film, carry over from the story, just say his name. That's all he can say. Mm-hmm. I'd appreciate that more. Or if you want to go more of a supernatural direction, a telekinetic, a psychic connection mm. over them being able to actually verbalize. Because okay. – well, I'll get into it in the questions, but if he can say simple phrases like that, why can't he do other things? <laughs> why can't he do other things? <laughs> like that ridiculous scream that he makes when he gets shot off the building? Or, or climbing the building ah! or fucking climbing the building to begin with. <laughs> anyway, let's say let's put a pin all in right. that thought. All right, all right, all right. Um, uh, the, go ahead. Let's see, another another bad for me. Um, all the combat scenes, aside from the montage that I explained that I did like, all the combat engagements with the military and um, the vampires and stuff, just stupid. I mean, the slowest, you know, effortless fighting. Mm. Uh, I get it. This came out in 1964, but even still just suggest it suggest it's happening i i would appreciate that more than seeing this like tussle 
<laughs> with essentially like very drunk people is what it looks like. <laughs> you know, even even the armed fucking like military. Yeah, the, the infantry guys. The infantry, yeah. right. Th- that shit, it's like some fucking slapstick like up get close to him whoa he's gonna shoot whoa slow me down let me let me catch up to him again so i can shoot him you got a fucking rifle just shoot him yeah anyway that sucked um ruth collins character just sucks i mean it goes back to the acting but she's just this sobbing tired meek moiling fucking human stain you know can't do anything i mean old bobby he he's got to be real hard up to get laid or he's just so excited to see another human like person which is probably the latter but she sucks man just just kill her just pretend that you know she was a zombie the whole time and just kill her I mean, well, obviously, would have, would have he, saved him a lot of his uh, future troubles. No shit, and the fact <laughs> that the fact that he can live with just letting his kid die and his wife. I mean, what's one more? You know, he's killed and buried everything else that he's known and cared about. This well, yeah, just sucks. He's, and he's killing what was humans more or less on a regular basis on a regular basis yeah they're dehumanized at that point in his in his eyes but Mm -hmm. yes yeah he's he's killing um some sort of being sure um yeah i i did not appreciate her character i mean acting is one thing but if it's written into her character that she needs to be this just fucking weak pitiful mewling turd i'm checking out you know i don't want to see i don't want to watch this for a fucking hour and a half or whatever not a fan of ruth huh no no ruth can suck dicks in hell Man, strong words coming here from Dr. Bob. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, some bads for me. You know, I get it. There's always older men dating and marrying younger women, especially when it's cinematically portrayed. But, man, they could have done a better job casting at least an older-looking wife. Because I was confused for a second because I hadn't seen it in a while. And I was talking to Charlotte, and I, I was explaining things to her, and I said... Well, yeah, that's his daughter. And she's like, no, I'm pretty sure that's his wife. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's supposed to be his wife. <laughs> right. how, how? So at the time of this movie, Vincent Price was 53. The actress playing his wife, Verge, was 28. Yeah. He could have done a better job. Could have done that. a lot better. Right. He, I mean, he looks like the Crypt Keeper in, in comparison. <laughs> You know. I know, right? Um, so, yeah, there was that. Um, I know you were kind of lauding this whole part, and I'm not necessarily saying that there shouldn't be, shouldn't have been aspects of this kept within the movie, but I'll be perfectly honest. This time, I thought that the whole flashback act, that could have been trimmed down pretty significantly. I oh, feel yeah. like sure. it really slows the pacing of it, this movie. It, there's bloat there. But- yeah. Just having a flashback is, you know, I appreciate that. 
It's like cool. something. That, I, I get what you're saying. There needs to be some some sort of modicum of explanation. Well, and and that sets the stage for you giving a shit about Doctor Bob's character. You know, the, the, he's the also thing, got skin in the game, and he's lost sure, as well. Sure. I'm always kind of going back and forth on how much I feel like a backstory or that sort of um, explanation or exposition needs to be included in a movie because a lot of times I feel like some of my favorite movies don't really involve that. Um, We've talked about this before on here. You and I have talked about this. This is the difference between me liking and appreciating something like John Carpenter's Halloween as opposed to Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, yeah, right there with you, right there with you. I don't need to know why Myers is intent on murdering these people. Don't need to know at all. I don't want to know that the ad having the mystique of the character helps the menace helps promote the menace. Right. So that's the thing. Like how much of that do you, integrate into the story to keep it moving as a plot device and at what point does it become a distraction so I, yeah i think that it works w- with its faults being too long i think yeah. it works for this movie because dr bob is essentially the only character yeah you know but yeah. <clears throat> if if it were set up more like a cormac mccarthy story where there's yeah. just fucking desperation from beginning to end. That could also have been good. Yeah. You know? Totally. Just don't know uh, why. This dude's just grifting along, <laughs> trying to right. make it. For some reason, he's really fucking good with science. And for some reason, um, he's not dead already. <laughs> yeah. Um the mutant, quote-unquote, collective or tribe or whatever that's discovered here at the end via uh, Ruth Collins being a plant or a subterfuge, they're not very distinguished from regular people. They could nope. have done a better job of somehow making them look like they were more of this in this kind of transitionary stage. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I mean that that would have fallen into questions for me, but yeah, is is there supposed to be just some kind of symbolism when you see? I think they're women all standing in the in the middle when when Morgan's Doctor Bob's trying to run away, and they're just standing watching him die, and they're just black figures. You don't really see right. Um, was that supposed to be some kind of symbolism because? It was very lazy. I'd agree. If that's supposed <laughs> to be another race of people now. Yeah, the only distinguishing character is they're all wearing black. Especially, yeah, if you were to watch this in monochrome, black and white, there, there's, and you're basically clueless. It just looks like, oh, this whole ass other part of town is just full of people and it's just fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they just showed up to kill your ass. Yeah. yeah. So that's mine. Do you have anything else? Uh, no. I mean, between main talking points and what you said, that pretty much covers all of my uh, issues. All right. Fair enough. Questionable. Here's what I've got right off the top. This is the first <laughs> one I wrote. When it's when it's going into the flashback yeah. and it shows 
the tell the news program is discussing what are currently unfolding events mm -hmm. in real time and the anchor or whoever it is on the show <laughs> refers to the governor as his excellency <laughs> all right i know this is like an italian production but also an American movie. No one in America has ever referred to a governor as his excellency. Or if anybody in a position of power. Just like, oh yeah, the cops came. You mean their their excellency came. <laughs> yeah, any authority figure. No one's ever referred to the president of the United States as his excellency. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was my that, Right. So um I kind of have mine chronologically because I wrote them down as I was watching the movie. Okay. Um, this is kind of small and it can kind of be forgiven because he explains in his inner monologue when he goes to the grocery store about why does he even throw the garlic off his door in the first place? He's like, oh, this has lost its pungency. He just chucks it in his yard. We have yeah. nothing. You have nothing else. Just leave yeah. it up there because then he comes back before he goes out to get rid of the bodies at the pits. And he goes, hmm, says something like, can't take any chances. And he puts it back up. It's like, what, what was the thought there? Was that just kind of to show the little things that he has to think about in the day to day? I don't know. Mm. Um, and how is there an endless tire fire going? Like when he first showed up to that, and it's just already burning. I'm going, there's other people alive, clearly. I, I mean, as it's just, is there just an endless fuel source constantly burning? Yeah. For him to show up to just chuck the body in? I mean, again, I guess maybe that could suggest that he's there so frequently that the bodies from yesterday are still burning. But sure, I don't think that that was even thought of. Yeah, <laughs> because that would have been like a pretty macabre fun fact about Morgan's new world to, you know, expound upon. Yeah. Um, why doesn't. OK, he says, you know, the deep freeze, like I'm only going to take what I need. You can see there's, you know, whole beeves in there and stuff in the in the freezer. And the garlic. But that doesn't count for the dry goods. Why doesn't he take any of the dry goods home? You know? At all. He could just have stores of that shit in his house. Yeah. And actually, Charlotte brought this point up with the garlic. Instead of getting freeze-dried garlic, just <sighs> plant your own. Plant your own. Right. Throw a bulb in your yard, man. It seems like freeze-dried garlic would lose its pungency even quicker. You've you've zapped all of the the pungency out of it. I would agree. Also, I want to make one more point, and then I'm done. Um, maybe it's explained, and I missed it. Obviously, we have the explanation as to why he's able to keep his own utilities running via, you know, the generator. Mm -hmm. How is it that the freezer is still operational at the grocery store? This is three know. years in. Any sort of electrical grid or power, municipal power source would be done. Yeah, right. Gone. That that deep freeze would be a fucking rotting, putrescent mess. Yeah. So they don't really explain that. No. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, 
for being such a well-prepared guy, or at least we're set up to believe that he is, he's got a lathe in his house and he's turning steaks with a lathe like daily. Yeah. Why not just make a fucking shitload of them at nighttime when you have nothing else to do? So you can just grab a steak and and with that, is this part of the old mythology that you have to leave the steak buried in the vampire or something? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. No, I don't know. I, right. I, I honestly don't know. Well, I mean, think about economy here, you know? Yeah. How many right. how many table legs or fucking barrels of wood can he harvest to make steaks? <laughs> and he's making it like one at a time, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um you know, if you have a quiver of arrows and you shoot your enemies and, you know, you're able to retrieve them, you want to, you don't want to make more arrows. You want to save right. the arrows you got. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that might be rooted in I would, I would assume so that the stake has to remain in the body for it to remain dead. Well, I mean, to that but, point, but, what the fuck does it matter? Pull it, out, pull it out before you burn it. Exactly. Right? Pull it out <laughs> and then just chuck them in. Yeah. Um, so he goes to the church and he falls asleep with his like rotten woman that uh, I guess doesn't smell the stench of death is not lingering out of her casket in the mausoleum of the church or whatever. Yeah. And he falls asleep and then it's nighttime and he's like, Oh, uh, you know, they're going to be crawling everywhere. Just stay in the church. If they haven't got to you by now that there's that locked cage door that you clearly you have to go through to get in there. I mean, at his house, he's got fucking boards like sh- shabbily all over the windows, and that's enough to keep him out. Surely a steel locked gated door is is going to suffice. Just stay right. in the church. Why didn't he just stay in the church for the night? Or yeah. relocate everything from his house to the church. To the church. <laughs> or or wherever he just breaks into for the arm for the for the guns, <laughs> for the armory. That's true, yeah. Um Yeah, set up shop in the in the gun store. Yeah, it's a little pedantic, but talking loud as shit next to his sleeping child. You know, he's he's careful to look under the I don't know what that's supposed to be like a germ tent or something. And she's resting and goes in the other room, talks to Verge. And then they both come back into her, her room to look at her. And then they're just talking as loud as you and I are talking. Yeah. If they're so concerned about her resting and staying rested, go in the other fucking part of the house, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's like general knowledge when you have a baby or a child. Mm-hmm. Um how does the truck driver okay, so in the flashback scene when uh, the truck leaves with um I can't remember the, the girl's name, Katie or something, the daughter. Truck leaves with her body and he's you know on a rampage now. So he's he goes to the burn pits and they go, you know, you can't be in here, and he runs by the guards who somehow don't shoot him or take any action. I mean, they're military and they're like, you cannot be in this contam- contaminant zone. And he just goes blazing by them sight unseen. He gets down to the truck that has his daughter's body in it, maybe. And he asks, you know, did this truck just leave market street? 
And he starts shaking the guy and puts him up to the truck. And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> You're the driver. How do you not know where you were? You know? Just not familiar with the neighborhood? I don't know. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. How is Morgan around? How is Morgan allowed to run around the pits? You know, it's like yeah. it's like a cop going, uh, this is, uh, you know, crime scene. You, you can't cross right. I, and just yeah. blow right past him. No, no. Problem. I, I thought that, too. Yeah. He wouldn't be allowed to just run rampant in a crime scene <laughs> okay. or a, a quarantine zone. Right. So th- this is more prevalent, probably because we watched the color version. But picture this for a minute. In the flashback scene at the end of it, when he goes to bury Verge out in the pasture somewhere, he gets out there. You can see the black sky. It's like approaching the end of the day. He's got that. How how, how tall is Vincent Price? He's pretty he's tall. Pretty, he's pretty tall. He's, he's like a tall drink of water, right? Yeah. Harsh wind will blow him over kind of guy. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, probably mid six foot at least. Yeah. He's got that dinky ass fucking little like waist high shovel where you have <laughs> absolutely zero leverage at all. I've had one of those shovels. They're like a piece of shit. You give them to a kid to pretend like they're doing something in the yard. <laughs> he digs that fucking proper grave. Like, I mean, it's pretty deep. He puts her all the way down there. A guy that tall with that little shitty shovel. How is that even possible? How's he not completely stove up? Furthermore, he does it all in like seemingly a matter of minutes because it's still the same. It's not any darker when he's done. He's like, mm. yep, throw her in, close it up. It's like he just had a backhoe out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was a problem for me. Um, so along with the vocal element of the vamps, I wonder how if if he if they can say sentences, you know, like Morgan, you did this and you did that or whatever, whatever Ben's saying to him, taunting him. What else from their previous mortal lives do they know about? You know, because Ben was a scientist. He's a bright fucking dude. He and I mean, he's got a lot more motor functions than he gives <clears throat> he let, let lets on. He he lumbers around like a drunk person and bangs on the window with a two by four every night. Little do we know, he can spider man his ass up the side of the building. If he really wanted to get in, he would have like snuck through a window or used applied some of his scientific knowledge to better his situation somehow. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and. You know, this is kind of getting into the trivia a little bit, but that was one of the criticisms that I think Matheson had, or at least maybe not a criticism. This is one of the things that didn't carry over from the book into the movie was in the story, the book, the zombies, the vampires are actually agile. They're they're not lumbering zombies like they are on this. So, yeah, why couldn't they have just stuck with the source material and make them agile individuals yeah yeah um so why is morgan even concerned about burning the bodies 
for other people's sake of not getting infected. I mean, at this point, he clearly is not getting sick. Yeah. And is he trying to like rebuild society? I don't really understand what his purpose of even cleaning the streets of the dead is. Maybe he's just making absolutely definitively sure they're dead. Yeah. They're not I, coming back. I guess. Um, why can't Morgan find Ben? He, he's talking to Ruth. He's like, you hear him calling? If I ever find him, I'll drive a stake right through his heart. It's like, he's at your front fucking door. <laughs> and I get the, the larger point is where the nest is or where yeah. all of them are so you can find them during the day. But uh, you know where he is every night. Just follow them back as the sun is going down. They clearly can't yeah. fight back as or when the sun's coming up. Just follow wherever they go. They're not going to you know, turn back on you. The sun's coming up. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So when it comes to Ruth and the cure and all this, he's, he's a man of science. Wouldn't he have at least had a hunch that he had some kind of antibody in his body long before this, when he wasn't getting sick and he goes, Hmm, a bat bit me one time. Maybe, maybe that has something to do with it. It's like, why don't you try some labs? Why don't you draw your blood and do some, you know, some kind of test? It's yeah. taken him this long to figure out that he has the cure. This whole time, Lloyd, that's what I put down here. He had gloves this whole fucking time, Lloyd. <clears throat> um, uh Let's see. Yeah. How does the vampire get in? The one that actually gets into his house. I mean, you see, he goes through the front door, <laughs> but it's just that easy. He just walks in when no one's looking. Yeah. And well, that's, that's Ben. I know. Ben but right. I know that's Ben. Right. But no, how, I, I, how does he, <laughs> why didn't he do that before? If it's that easy. <laughs> Over three years, he yeah. had his opportunity. Just I mean, he, he can fucking spider his ass right up the side of the building, no problem. So he, there's many opportunities he could have got in. But if it was just as easy as opening the fucking door, just do that three years ago. Case closed. Uh, last last couple here. Okay. Um. If guns work fine on the vampires, why didn't Morgan use them a long time ago? That's, you know, that's really like my main sticking point. He's so worried about, he could just be sitting in his house shooting all of those fuckers in his front yard and just be done with it. You know? Yeah. You see in the final act when these, you know, new race of people, these armed militants come in and he breaks into the armory and all that. They shoot fucking vamps and everything's fine. That's it. Case closed. Just break into that fucking where. I mean, he doesn't even go far to get into that armory. It's like around the corner from his house. You know? Yeah. So that's it. That's really. uh I had more questions than anything about this movie. <laughs> All excellent points. All points that I agree with. Yeah. 
man of science. Yeah. <laughs> jo- yeah. Joe Smith's hat. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, Lloyd, you had gloves the whole time. <laughs> we switch you to the state capitol where His Excellency, the governor, is speaking from the executive mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. All right, moving on to our awards and categories section. Starting at the top with quotes. Here's what I've got. There was a time when I shopped for a car. Now I'm looking for a hearse. Yeah, that's a good one. I like freaks, all of you. Patience. I am a man. The last man. Yeah. Yeah, I had that one too. Uh, December 1965. Is that all it has been since I inherited the world? (laughs) Only three years. Seems like a hundred million. Yeah. Pretty good. The Derek Zoolander Award for the biggest idiot in the movie. What do you got? Uh, Dr. Bob? Dr. Bob? (laughs) Dr. Bob. At every turn that he could have corrected the course of events. Nope. Dr. Bobby says no. No, no. Daddy says no. Dr. Bob's fucking up. Sure is. The Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for the best wardrobe and makeup. I I don't know who. I mean, nothing really stands out in this one. Nothing stands out, and there's really only one fucking character. You yeah, know? it's it, is the, it Doctor Bob in his tweed jacket. His tweed jacket. The fucking <laughs> the 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 uh, exceptional wrinkles in his fucking dried up cinnamon roll face. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, a lot of these awards don't really apply to a movie like this. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't really have anything. We're going to call that one a uh, zilch. We don't do that often. We can usually drum up something. But that's a zilch. That's a big, fat fucking goose egg oh, on that I know. one. The dog. Okay. The dog. The, the dog. All right. That's good. The dog Dog's was pretty cute. Cool. Pretty cute. Dog's cute. Pretty cute. Yep. Like the dog. Uh, the Cosmo Kramer Award for the most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. Uh, I mean, again, I feel like Dr. Bob or Ruth, I, I, I could see Dr. Bob being a friend of like Costanza's parents or something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Dr. Bob for that as well, because he could be one of the elder, el- elder um, people in the show. Yeah. So Costanza's parents, friends. <laughs> right. Or yeah. an uncle, <clears throat> yes, or something like that. Uncle Bob, Uncle Doctor Bobby, Uncle Doctor. That's right. The Danny Trail Award for the character most likely to have a spinoff. Um, I don't know, Doctor Bob again. <laughs> we just go down the dog. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's no specific character. I guess you'd have to pick like Ben or somebody. The mutants. Considering that they yeah. are like a whole new race and stuff. Yes. You know, inheriting the earth from yeah. Bobo. Yeah. I fucking certainly hope it's not Ruth Collins, though. Tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> really laying into Ruth. Ugh. 
<laughs> this is the no Ruth show. Fuck no, no Ruth. It's as Beetle just said. It's no goo for me. Yeah, it don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Body count. This is another one of those where it's innumerable bodies. Yeah, right. Um, don't we can't, even, we can't even calculate. Don't even try. The the piles of death. Right. The the horror. The the this the sand dunes. The rotten body landslides. The mountains, <laughs> yes. the new the new foothills of corpses. Yes. So there we go with that. All right. The trivia. The wiki wormhole. Um Robert Matheson thought that Vincent Price was miscast in this movie. And you know, I don't necessarily disagree with Robert Matheson. I do love Vincent Price, but here's the thing. So Charlotte and I, we were having an interesting discussion while watching this movie. And it's one of those things where maybe you think this is obvious. Other people probably think it's obvious. I honestly never, it really never crossed my mind. But the thing with Vincent Price is he's clearly, he was clearly an effete man. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he had that sophisticated speech, that speaking uh, tone of voice. Very um, eloquent. Eloquent, definitely a, a man of uh, from New England or, you know, f- uh, a man of the arts, obviously. But she was joking about <laughs> any portrayal of Vincent Price in a movie with, like, a wife. Yeah. She's like, well, he's so clearly gay. Yeah. And you know, and that's like I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I never really even thought about him being gay, honestly. And sure. And we looked it up and there had been things that had come out over the years and his daughter had said, yes, we can say that he was bisexual, mm-hmm. which is just also just code for he was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I guess I can see Matheson's point because I think in the story, you know, he's supposed to be more masculine. He's supposed to be. Well, I mean, from more a, of a rugged guy. Yeah, yeah. From a practical standpoint, I don't see a gangly near fucking seven foot, foot you know, mess laffy taffy of a person being a survivor in that situation. You know, the, definitely... the caloric intake alone would be staggering. That and also there's there are scenes like, OK, you know, when he has like the smoke bombs. Yeah. The way he throws them, it's very, <laughs> it's very feminine. Very feet. He's just like, ah. right. come on, throw it like you got a pair. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So, I mean, again, I think that Vincent Price is great. I think he does a good job in this, but maybe, yeah, a little bit of a miss, miscast. Um, uh, Fritz Lang of Met, uh, Metropolis and M fame was originally slated to be the director for this movie. Mm-hmm. So that would have been that. interesting. Um, uh, I go ahead. So this is kind of funny because you know Charlton Heston's comment about just how fucking awful the acting and stuff was to more accurately show how grueling it was for the character to survive. Vincent Price insisted on lifting real people into the back of his car instead of dummies. That was great. Yeah. It's like, what is this a uh, lazy flamboyant 
uh, effort to method acting. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, this film was originally going to be produced by Hammer. Would have would have been a Hammer movie. That would have been probably would have made it a little bit better. I don't know. But I could see it definitely being within uh, a Hammer Studio production. Right. So there's that. Uh, let's see. I mean, that's really kind of it, I think, for me. Do you got anything else? Mm, no. You already mentioned the Charlton Heston thing, so that's uh, – I'm just kind of looking through here. The film takes place in 1968. Which, incidentally, was when... Night of the Living Dead. Right. So there's a little bit of... Oh, I wanted to mention this. And retroactively, in the goods, I liked the car, the original car that he had. Mm. His like, weird station wagon fucking hearse SUV looking shit. (laughs) Yeah, it was a cool car. It says the first black station wagon Robert Morgan drives is a 1956 Chevrolet 210 Townsman, which I'd never heard of that before in my life. Neither Um, have I. After the the zombies destroy it, he goes to a Ford dealership and gets a 1958 Ford Country sedan station wagon. So a little bit of car uh, lore for anybody well, who car gives a shit. Yeah. I like car talk on this. We we we'll do some car talk. We'll do some gun talk. A little I like a little gun and car talk sure. and trivia. Sure. Okay, so here we go. We're at the point where we need to find the iconography of this, rate it and designate its midnight movie status. So, for icons, what do we got here? Well, Let's see. We've got we've got out of five eternal burn pile tire fire human <laughs> uh, <laughs> human flambe vampire zombie flambes. Yeah, out of five fucking dried out, sizzled, not worthy for chopped bandoliers of garlic. <laughs> <laughs> um, out of five stupid ass wench plants. Yeah, let's go with that. Out of five stupid ass mewling wench plants. Yeah. What do you give this, Dr. Bob? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoy the source material, but it was a bit of a slog. I don't know, two and a half mewling hoe bags who can't fucking figure out shit from piss. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to be with you on that. Two and a half leaning into three for me. Yeah. Yeah. Leaning into, it has the intent. It's like the, it's like the air quality index, right? It's two and a half feels like three. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the humidity yeah um midnight movie well here's the thing with this obviously this is pretty tame in terms of any graphic violence sexuality etc etc things that we normally designate the time on the clock but you know what in terms of the when this was made and in the spirit it was made i'm gonna say yes this is a midnight movie this is a classic double feature at the drive-in, midnight movie. 
Yeah, I mean, if we're going into the way back machine, yeah, this is a this is an eleven to midnight, eleven thirty or to midnight. I mean, another thing that could be mentioned in the trivia is that because of a copyright clerical bungle, this is now a public domain movie. Did mean to mention that. Also, another tie to Night of the Living Dead. Same thing. Oh yeah, right. Public domain because with that one, when they edited it and sent out the copies for distribution to show in theaters, they had completely because there was something about with the title card because the title card was supposed to be something, and then they changed it. And when they changed it, they completely took out the copyright notice. Mm-hmm. So that forced it to enter public domain as well. Right. So a lot of interesting coincidences and relationships between these two movies. It's almost like they were both meant to be made together yeah. in some way. So, yeah, if we're going in the way back, definitely. This is a right up approaching midnight, you know, second film of a double feature. Yeah, I agree. All right. So, Brandon, yeah. we had a little off-the-mic discussion about where we're going to go from here because it is supposed to be your – movie next uh-huh. and you want to do what you want to tell uh, our listeners so we've been talking for a while about rolling out trying out uh, a thematic series so like uh you know instead of just kind of random movies we want to talk about they fall within the overarching umbrella of a theme so we're going to try this out mine will be the first in the series and the theme uh this time around is going to be self implosion stories. Um, Love it. Yeah. So there's a lot of movies. Some of my favorite movies of all time would fall into the self implosion category. Um, and we'll discuss more about what we mean by self implosion stories uh, when we get into the episode. But the next movie we'll be talking about is 1992's Man Bites Dog. Excellent. It's a fine film. I do appreciate it. It's a very it. fine film. And uh, I'm real, glad that you picked it. Real, real excited to talk about it. Yeah, that is a that's a wild ride of a movie. You bet your ass it is. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to bring this this theme into circulation here. Yeah. Okay. So next time. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe, as always, for our intro music. Our outro music is going to be provided by Oakland-based Sludge Lords Brain Oil with the track what, Brandon? Dark Eyes of My Path. Off of the self-title. Yeah. If you want to contact us, you can email us at midnightfootspot at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at Midnight Podcast. Signing off for Dr. Bob Morgan, this is Bruce Collins. Oh, no. <laughs> See you next time, bucko.